wanted to talk and minister to you tonight on living free. We talked all last year about being free, completely free in 2003. And, you know, the fact is, Jesus set us free when he went to the cross and went to the, into the bowels of hell and defeated the devil. And we've been free for 2,000 years. Amen. But there was an anointing in 2003. There was uh, an anointing to see the freedom that we have. And I believe an anointing to receive it, a greater ability to receive uh, of the work of the Spirit in our hearts and our lives. And like I said last Sunday night, you know, you may not feel any different than you did in 2003, but that doesn't mean you're not different. We're different. You may not, um, you may not see the manifestation of your healing, but that doesn't mean you're not healed. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> you know, I used to cry every time I preached. You just ask my kids. But then, and I thought it was, my pastor always said it was hormones. I denied it with all my heart. But then I had a surgery and I quit crying. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so I found out it was hormones all along. I haven't cried in 10 years. Hallelujah. In, in a service, hardly. Thank you, Jesus. But the power of God is here tonight. So a work of the Spirit was done in 2003. And, you know, it didn't really, you know, us getting free has nothing to do with what you did or didn't do. God wants, God is getting the glorious church ready. Amen. And it was just part of his plan. I was thinking about and reading about the uh, Emancipation Proclamation that Abraham Lincoln gave in 1862. He gave the Emancipation Proclamation declaring all the slaves free. But did you know it was three years before the Civil War ended? And and uh, and, and even then, uh, it was a long time before some uh, slaves realized that they had been set free. And and in fact, if you really get down to it, that a lot of the a lot of black people walked in bondage until a hundred, uh, for a hundred years after the Civil War ended, until in the 60s, in the 1960s, in the Civil Rights Movement, that finally uh, God got enough people stirred up on the inside that you're free, that they stood up and they said no more. Amen. They said, we're not living like this anymore. And thank God that they did that. Thank God they did it. Thank God they challenged George Wallace. Thank God they did. And we watch everything we can watch on TV, all the documentaries we watch about Rosa Parks and, and the walk from the march from Selma to Montgomery. And we watch those things and we rejoice that that was done and that people stood up. And it's the same with the children of Israel. <laughs> they were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. And, you know, when they got set free, they didn't know how to be free. They did not know how to be free because it was not just their generation, but passed down through the generations and just passed on and on and on this 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 uh, bondage. And I'm sure that there's even uh, in the black community people that because of their generation and how their parents think and how their parents think, grandparents thought, that they don't really know how to live as free as they could. Even now, I don't really know, but I would assume that's how it is because I know from reading the Bible that that's how it was for the children of Israel, that they 
were in bondage for 400 years and they didn't know how to be free. Well, you know, the same could be true for us when it comes to being free because of what Christ bought for us, for what Jesus bought for us. In Romans chapter 8, if you'll turn there, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. My grandmother was a crier. We never we went to her to my see my grandmother probably about once a month. She lived about four hours from us. And then, uh, my daddy and my grandmother always argued over religion because my daddy was backslid <laughs> was the main reason. My grandmother made me feel convicted. Of course, she probably said too much and you know all the things like mothers do. But uh, and so she would cry and, and you know. She, you know, was always a really, we always really look forward to going too. I mean, I, I mean, I did. It was like, oh boy, can't wait to get to Granny Hicks. And, and you know, and Daddy and her fight, and and uh, and, uh, and Granny would cry. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, uh, I went, and I would always go stay a month in the summer. And I went to stay in the summer of 1964. I went to stay with her, and they had a outdoor revival at this little Baptist church that they went to. They moved, I don't know if they actually moved the pews outside, but there were pews outside. I don't know if they just had other pews, but the pews were sitting out beside the church, and we had revival every night, and uh, all week the Holy Spirit was working in my heart, convicting me, and uh, I never responded to the invitation, mostly because I was scared, And but the last night on the Saturday night, and I was going home the next day, going back to see Grace, and, and this was in Winters, Texas, and uh, uh, well, uh, I came home from the revival meeting, and I, I couldn't, I was crying, I couldn't quit crying, and uh, Grand Grand, you know, not baptized in the Holy Ghost or anything, but Grand Grand was perceptive enough, and just, I guess, the Holy Ghost just revealed to him to realize what was wrong with me. Of course, he, he came in the bedroom, what's wrong, baby girl, and I said, I don't know, you know, and he told me what was wrong. That I, he told me, you're, you need to get saved. It's the Holy Spirit. So he led me to the Lord. And, you know, they were good Baptists. They didn't think you could really do this right unless you walked down the aisle the next day. So then it was all planned. And tomorrow morning, like Granny Hicksy said, I'll walk down with you. You won't have to walk. And so you had to walk down the aisle of the Baptist church to be really saved. And uh, so then after we went to church, we met my, my dad and Snyder, my mom and dad, I can't remember who came. And my granny, of course, told him that I got saved and told him what to do. Said, now you go. Of course, my parents were one of those, a uh, little bit more than Christmas and Easter is where we were living at that point in our lives, going to church. Not very much more than that, but, you know, sporadically throughout the year, we would hit First Baptist Church in Seagrace. And uh, so she said, now you go see that pastor and you tell him that she made a profession of faith at First Baptist Church in, 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 in or not First Baptist, it was some little Trinity or something Baptist in, here in Winters, Texas, and you tell him, and, and then he'll know what to do from there. And, you know, she, he'll tell her, well, you know what I have? So my dad, he, he of course, he's backslid. He don't want to talk to no preacher. And so uh, I don't know why. I just, of course, I didn't, I scared to ask, and he didn't. He didn't do anything. A week and a half passed, about two weeks passed. My granny is on the phone to him, you know. And, you know, she, she's uh, after him. And, and so uh, uh, and so what he said was, he said, 
he, he got mad at her, and it wasn't true, it was a lie, but he said, well, you just bawled and squalled till she went down, and, you know, anyway, he accused her if it didn't really happen. I mean, you just cried her into it. So maybe tonight I'll just cry some of you into something. If it'll work, well, hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. So it wasn't true, but she stayed on him. So finally, I, on a Sunday night, I don't even think we went to church that morning, we went to the church. You might know it would be the most awkward of all situations because they were not even having church. They having some sort of fellowship. And he kind of had to get the pastor come off over here. And we went over in a little room. And my dad explained it to the pastor. So here's what the pastor said to do. Next Sunday morning, have when I give the invitation, have her walk down the aisle again. I'm telling you, hallelujah. And so, and, and so then he told the church now, that she made a profession of faith at a revival meeting in her grandmother's church. Boy, I had to go through all that just to get water baptized. Amen. Hallelujah. But I was really saved. I really was saved. And, I, you know, I was so saved that I never doubted my salvation. Now, I, did, I, I had a lot of other doubts that whether I was living right and all those kind of things because, you know, we weren't taught, we weren't taught what we're taught now. Hallelujah. Praise God, so I'll just squall and bawl till y'all till y'all catch it tonight, amen. And if y'all want me to quit squalling and bawling, well y'all catch it fast, amen. Glory to God. Romans eight, verse two. It says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You're free. It says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. From the law of sin and death. You know, uh, we need to take hold of this verse and declare our freedom passionately. And I know many of you have been. All of 2003, you've been declaring passionately, bless God, I'm free. I'm financially free and declaring it passionately. My Jesus has set me free. I've been freed from pain. I've been freed from, from uh, sickness and disease. And we've been, but some have not declared it passionately because they maybe have been limited by what they see or what they feel. You know, we have to resist the devil. We have to, we have to enforce what Jesus did here. Jesus did something for us here and we have to enforce our freedom. We have to live like free people. We have to think like free people and we have to Keep renewing our minds, keep digging and, and throwing out stuff, cleaning out the closet, so to speak, and, and until we get everything out of us that thinks like people that aren't free, that thinks like the world. Amen? You know, when I was growing up, of course, now I knew I saved, I, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, but I was only, I was never taught that I was a new creation in Christ. I never remember being taught that I was a new creation, and we didn't sing that song either. But instead, what I was taught is that I was a sinner, and that I had a sin nature, which was totally untrue. But I was taught, no, you came from Adam, and you had a you have a sin nature because of Adam. Now, and, and I was taught that. I was a Christian, and I was taught that, and I was taught that that you're going to be tempted. And uh, and uh, if you even have a, a thought about a woman, 
if you even have a thought about a woman, you've committed adultery. Well, you know, that's the, that's how we were taught. And, and, and then I was, and I, I was taught that, that, uh, that my sins were forgiven. That's what we were taught. We were taught, we were saved all right, but we were sinners and our sins were forgiven. We were never taught that we were new creations in Christ, that we didn't have a, any of a sin nature left inside of us, and that we were, uh, uh, that, uh, that our, my sin past, present, and future is forgiven. Every sin you have ever committed is forgiven, and every sin you will ever commit is under the blood and forgiven. You are a new creation. You do not have a sin nature. You did. You used to. But you got born again. And we said that word born again, but we didn't, we didn't translate it. We said born again. You must be born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. We heard that preach. But we never were taught that it happened. And you're not just covered by the blood. You're not just forgiven. You're new. You're completely new. And it makes all the difference in how we feel and how, if we feel like free people, if we think like free people, if we act like free free people, if we talk like free people, it makes a difference when you know that you're free. Amen. I walked around most of my young life in high school even with, and really, I guess compared to how of what a lot of teenagers do, I didn't do very much. But you don't have to do much for the devil to make you feel guilty. And I walked around most of my life feeling guilty. Amen. And uh, and no relief in sight. Hallelujah. And it was so good to get baptized in the Holy Ghost and to get free. Of course, I'm getting freer still. Because, you know, for a lot of years, uh, uh I put myself under the law. And now I'm, I've renewed my mind. I know I don't have to live under the law. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. See, we have to change who we are by, by not, not being slaves to the devil and to sin anymore. You know, I was taught that no man, that you couldn't live without sin. But the truth is you can live without sin. Amen. You don't ever have to backslide. We were taught that that's a, that's just normal to life, that everybody backslides. Because see, in churches a lot of times, it's like a trophy in the preacher's crown, how many he can get to walk down that. It's a, it's a trophy. In fact, I, 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 I'm, when I am out in the community, they regularly, because I'm a pastor's wife, they think I want to know. But they regularly tell me, we had 10 this morning. You know, or we had five walk down the aisle this morning. You know, and I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't know. They think they see we we they think a lot of things about Pat Pastor's life. I I really, Pastor and I really blow their minds. We just at the beauty shop, they just it's a wonder we can get a decent haircut because they're always just I can't believe you are like I can't believe that I've never seen a pastor's wife that was talking about you know. That, that talk like that, because most of them have put on some sort of religious 
airs and graces or something. I don't know what. They're trying to act religious like they don't have uh, problems at their home, like they don't have desires like everybody else, that they really, you know, they're so spiritual. They don't like pretty things and don't like clothes and don't, you know, they try to pretend all the, I mean, it, it seems like a, I'm, I'm, they're, I'm, anyway, I'm always putting them into shock. And I kind of enjoy it, to tell you the truth. I try to say things to shock, you know, a little bit, a little bit. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Now, we need to look at some of these words because they're just a little bit too King Jamesy for us to really get this, you know? First of all, in verse 12, he said, He hath. And hath mean, means has already. He has already. Another word, it's just like we said, it's past tense. 2,000 years ago, you got free. Uh, you, ever since you've been born again, you've been free. So half is has already. And, and in verse 12 also, that word me is able. So let's read it that way. Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which has already made us able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. And then in verse 13, he says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. That word power would be better translated authority. We can understand that better. And so we read it that way in verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the authority of darkness? The word darkness there is talking about what we just read in Romans 8, 2 is the law of sin and death. That darkness is that law of sin and death. So, and then in verse uh, 13, and the word translated, means to take out of one and put into another. And so we can read this this way, beginning in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which has already made us able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life, who has already delivered us from the authority of darkness and has already taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of his dear son. See, when you got born again, we, you and I, when we became born again, me, since I was 10 years old, and I don't know how long for you, you got taken out of the law of sin and death in Romans 8, 2. You were taken out of that law. You were taken out of that darkness, and you were put over into the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 2 talks about the law of the sin and death and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So you are operating and you are living or you are have access to a different system. Now, for years, for me, 10 years, but actually in reality longer than that, but for however long since you've been born again, but really however long so since you begin to renew your mind, we live under the law of sin and death. Now, I was born again, but and I was I was uh, a child of light living under the, uh, a wrong law. 
living under the law of sin and death. Living under darkness, but I was really God's child. And some of you the same way until you begin to get your mind renewed. Some of you got born again and immediately began to get your mind renewed. And uh, but, uh, but maybe if you were 25 or you were 30 or you were 40, when you got born again, then all those years, all those years living under that law of sin and death, living under that system, if we want to say it that way, the system of sin and death. And we took that system and we enforced it by speaking it, by speaking about death, speaking about pain, speaking about lack. Speaking about, you know, and we we thought on those things. We thought on fear. We thought on death. We thought, well, we didn't you do that? I did. And um, and so we, we spoke it, we thought on it, and we acted on it for all those years. And now we find out by renewing our mind that, uh, that uh, we need to change kingdoms. That even though we've been born again with our mouth and with our thinking and with our acting, we have to change kingdom and quit thinking like children of darkness think and quit speaking the same things that the children of darkness speak and quit acting on the same things the children of darkness act on. You know, I was listening to a, a tape, or not a tape, actually, it was on TV today, a teaching that I had recorded, and this man was telling about, and I, I thought, you know, this is contrary to how children of darkness are how to the law of sin and death act. And he was talking about, and he lives in, in uh, uh, the mountains, in a mountainous area, and he had gone jogging, and he was running, and he broke his ankle eight miles from his house, and it was on a, he lived out in country, I mean, out out from the city, and he, uh, it was getting close to dark, and you know, it can get cold in, in, in the mountains, you know, and when you get, when, it, when the sun goes down, it gets cold in the mountains, it gets cold in the desert when the sun goes down, I know y'all wouldn't know this, but hallelujah, some of you would not know this. But hallelujah, but it can, it can get very cold. It can, you can freeze to death. And he broke his ankle. And evidently he had not taken his cell phone, Jason jogging or something. But he just did what the law of the life of spirit of life in Christ Jesus would do. And this should not be foreign to us. But he just believed he received healing for his broken ankle. And he just got up and ran home. He ran eight miles home. He said it hurt. But he acted on the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And you know, one thing that really motivated him to do that was not wanting to freeze to death that night. You know, he, I guess you could say he had more faith to run and act on his faith than he did to overcome hypothermia. And, and um, so he, he ran home and he said his ankle was swollen for two days. But literally, he got a miraculous healing from a broken ankle because he just acted on the the word of God and what the word of God said. And well, we shouldn't even, you know, we go, wow. I mean, I even thought, wow, what a testimony. 
But I'm like, why should we be so wild about that? That should be so common to us that we act on the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That should be very common to us. But we have to, we have to actively combat and resist. See, we got to resist this world. You know, we don't mean to be rude to people. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to be rude to them. But I cannot let people influence and overtake my thinking who are thinking according to the law of sin and death. Because why? Because it'll kill me. It'll send me to an early grave. It'll put me with some incurable disease if I think like they think and listen to what they say and let them plant seeds in my heart. I can't do it. And so I have to sometimes take drastic measures, even to the point of, I might offend you. And, of course, I'm going to be as nice as I can and as gentle as I can and as uh, uh, loving as I can, but I'm going to say, no, I don't take that. And people are constantly trying to, they see, they're trying to cram the law of the spirit of, uh, the law of health, the law of sin and death. They're trying to put that in us. They're trying to plant that seed in our heart. They're trying to cram their doctrine of this world, their doctrine of darkness down our throat. Amen. I know, um, and you know, if you're a Christian or, and especially if you're a spirit filled, faith-believing Christian, I don't even really care if I hurt your feelings. You know, we went to a a pastor in 93 uh, in August. He had some serious physical problems. I believe I've told this story before, but there might be one person that hadn't heard it. And he had some serious physical problems. And he was in the hospital for a few days, and, and he, boy, he just rose right back up in faith. But how many of you know that, you know, fear can try to come against the mate? And so a month later, exactly one month later, in September, I went to a pastor's wife's meeting in uh, Columbus, Texas, down at uh, Texas Bible Institute. Tommy, uh, Tommy and Rachel Birchfield, who are wonderful, wonderful men and women of God. Y'all might have heard them. But uh, even if you did, they're great. And uh, they have a Bible college, and they, but they also will have special meetings and stuff for pastors and then for ministers' wives and stuff. And so, and I, well, I tell you, I swore off a form of My, I have been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I ain't going to no meeting that I don't have a hotel room by myself. You can just mark that down in your little black book, and it's the truth. But anyway, we were in a dormitory, you know, where you're sharing the bathroom and, and you got bunk beds. Oh, God, I'm, I, am, I, I am a king's kid. I do not ever have to sleep in a bunk bed again. Amen. And uh, hallelujah. And uh, so uh, we, I was on the bottom bunk, and there was uh, – all these are spirit-filled, supposedly word of faith ladies. And two of the ladies in the room know my situation. And uh, the rest of them don't. And the rest of them needed a checkup from the neck up. I'm sorry, but I just can't stand. Oh, unbelievable. Whining ministers, wives. Whining over how hard life's been. And how hard the ministry is. Well, glory to God. <laughs> anyway. So they was a bunch of whiners from Arizona. And uh, 
Hallelujah. They were. And but the two that were from our area, they knew my situation. One of them's husband had visited pastor in the hospital. So that night, you know, when you don't do what's right. Well, we went to the meetings and you know, you come home and uh, and instead of turning over and going to sleep like y'all see. Well, they just they just want to stay up. They just want to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. Well, these two that knew my situation, they just the worst. So they began about 1 and 30 or 1 30 in the morning, something like that. We got to get up at 6 o'clock. Because you know, when you're sharing bathroom and everyone there has to wash their hair, blow it dry. And you know, you got to, it just takes a little while. And uh, so we had to be up by 6 o'clock and it was 1 30 in the morning. And, uh, and that 1 30 morning, they start talking about every faith minister from Rhema who has believed God and died anyway. And there are some. I mean, I can name each other. And that's what, that's what they were discussing. And I had just listened to it and listened to it and listened to it. And the more they talked, the more fear was rising up. more my fear was, just, was going on. And I didn't have a car, or I would have just gone about my car. We had flown in. We had uh, rode in a rented car with somebody else. And fear was rising up. I could just see it. And I just kept listening. I thought, I prayed. I said, God, help them go to sleep. Call them to want to go to sleep. But, you know, finally, I just said, and I tried to say it as nice as I could. I said, lady, it's 1.30 in the morning. we got to be up at school. We need to turn the light off and go to sleep. I didn't tell them anything else. Well, they was all insane. They did that. We turned the light off. We went to sleep. But the next day, they was always all walking 10 foot around me. They were, every one of them, in a hut. About, you know, they were all. So, you know, I really enjoyed this Minister's Wives Conference. Actually, I don't think I've, I don't know if I've been back for one since. But, uh, so, uh, about two, about a month later, my husband and one of the ones that was talking about everybody that died from Raymond, her, my husband and her husband went to a pastor's conference in Colorado. And uh, to an EL Cole meeting, I believe it was. And they, I don't know if they shared a room or not, but they went down to the exercise room at the same time to ride the exercise bikes and all that kind of stuff. And somehow the topic came up. And uh, and so the pastor said to my husband, said, well, my wife said your wife was rude at the minister's wife. So I'm telling you, he shouldn't, because this man is a faithful. You talk about a man that holds his confession. He puts us in his guard about walking by faith and, and holding your confession. And my husband said, yeah, uh, Debbie told me about that. Said, yeah, your wife, and called this other preacher's wife's name, said they talked about all the faith ministers that, did, that didn't win the battle of faith and died. They, that's what they were talking about at 1.30 in the morning. He, he probably turned white and he shut up. And he went home. And he told his wife. The reason I know he told her, the next week she told me. Now, she didn't have the guts to say, I'm sorry. She just asked me to go out for lunch. You know, she's trying to make up. Now, I'm not bitter or anything. But I'm just saying, sometimes your faith is not worth being polite for. I don't, you know, your faith is more important than having a friend. Your faith is more important than a best friend. Your faith is more important. Your faith's more important than everybody liking you. Hallelujah, they didn't like me very good. 
before that. You know, a lot of, you know what, a lot of preachers, wives, the preachers that they die in the white bitch, and they try to ride on the pastors on their husband's husband. And I tell you, it don't work very good. It won't work. That's why they come under such, uh, that's why when they go, they have to cry and squall about how hard life's been because they didn't develop their own faith. They're just trying to ride in on their own husband's faith. You can't ride on your husband's faith. And husbands, you can't ride on your wife's faith. And anybody in this room can't ride on your parents' faith or your grandmother's faith. Now, there's some people back there in children's church, they can take a little ride. But the ride's over in here, folks. You can't, you know, even as church members, you can't, You, we can put it in you, we can help you, but bottom line is, if you're going to live and not die, it's up to you. Bottom line is, if you're going to prosper, it's up to you. Amen? If you're going to get out of debt, it's up to you. And nobody can do it for you. I don't care you could go to Benny Hinn's meeting every weekend, and he can't do it for you. He might get you healed, but he won't be able to keep you healed. And 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 who is it? Some, I, I believe it's, well, I don't know. Smith Wigglesworth. The devil kills more people on the backlash, he said. You know, every time you get healed, there's a backlash. Nearly every time, nearly every time, the symptoms will try to come back. Two days, a week, six weeks, somewhere. They might even go six months. They might even go a year. But the devil's going to try to kill you on the backlash. You better find out and plant your feet on the rock. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. So uh, we have to change our system from the system of darkness to the system of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So we change our speaking, we change our thinking, and we change our acting. We're going to act different if we're acting accord like like the man from Colorado. He he acted different than he would have acted if he wasn't in this other kingdom. It changed how he acted. You know, uh, Romans 10, 17, let's turn there. The more we say it, the more we speak faith, the more it gets into our heart. Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. doesn't matter if you want to say come up or if you want to say is activated. It, it's basically the same thing. You know, the more you speak it, the more you speak lie, the more, uh, the, the more, the, the more it gets down in you. The more you speak words of lie, it gets down in you. It gets down in you and it's not as easily shaken. Hallelujah. Now I trust that I'm probably more developed now. I probably than I was that 1993. It probably wouldn't fear wouldn't come up in my heart like it used to. But I can tell you, I've been sitting watching TV and a commercial. All of a sudden, I could feel fear. I could just feel a feeling of just a feeling of fear. And and I and when we went moved to Trustful, and I was battling symptoms in my body, and the devil was talking to my head every day. You're not. You're going to die. You're not going to make it. You're going to die. And uh, and when we would, there's a big old cemetery right there on Highway 11 coming into Trustville from Center Point. And uh, I'm telling you, I'd look at that cemetery and fear God's up my heart. And I had to start speaking to that cemetery. I did. I started talking to that thing. 
I mean, I'd say every time we went by that cemetery, I would say, God, my God satisfies me with long life. I would say that. Getting that down in my heart more and more and more. I still talk to cemeteries. I don't have those same feelings of sin that I had then. Those feelings, those feelings left me. But they left me because I started putting that down in my heart. I started counteracting it with spirit, spirit, life, word. And, uh, we, so we change our thinking. Did you know that fear comes by hearing and hearing by the word, by the word of the devil? or by the word of darkness, or by the word of the law of the spirit, uh, the law of sin and death. Fear comes by those words. You can go to a doctor's office and they will speak the law. They they aren't going to tell you, by Jesus stripes you were healed. And so they're going to say, you have something. And fear comes by hearing those words. Amen. And the less you are developed in the the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the laws of life, the less developed you are in your faith in those, the more that's going to be able to affect you, the more it's going to be able to bring fear to your heart and to your mind. And depends on sometimes. See, sometimes you go, well, I, that doesn't cause me fear, and it's not because you're developed. It's because you're maybe you don't have any symptoms in your body. I went till I was 43 years old and never had a symptom in my body other than just maybe having an upset stomach one night or having a, a like a little cold or something but never had any other symptom in my body for 43 years. And so, you know, cemeteries didn't affect me. But you've got a bunch of symptoms in your body that are, and the, and the devil's telling you things, amen, well then those things sometimes will affect you more. And we still, man, we turn, we don't listen to, to uh, commercials about cancer and about high blood pressure. and We don't listen to those things. We just don't want that planted in our heart. We don't want, we don't listen to all the symptoms of, of whatever and the symptoms of this and the symptoms of that. We don't want those things planted in our heart. We don't, we, I don't want fear planted in my heart. You know, you like watching a scary movie or something. You know, sometimes when you're watching that scary movie and you know, you're just sitting there, you don't think, oh, this is not bothering me. But then your husband goes on a trip and you're there in the house by yourself. And I've just noticed how the devil reminds you of that scary movie. He reminds you about somebody being outside the window. I mean, I can just, you know, the devil likes to flash you. Oh, I tell you, you get in the shower and you see that movie. You know that movie? You see that movie. And, and, and see, everybody in here, I don't have to say the name of the movie. And I hadn't seen that movie in 25 years. What's the name of the movie? Okay. Psycho. Yeah. Huh? Well, praise God. Well, it probably wouldn't. It's a girl in the shower. It's not a So it might not bother you, but hallelujah. You know, those are things, those are things that are planted inside of us. We, we planted them. We allowed them to be planted in our ignorance. Amen? Sometimes we've allowed things, you know, Country, I know there's some country and western songs that I let get planted down on the inside of me. And I don't, I, I believe in God for a sound and well-balanced mind. But the devil, will, that song will come crazy. You know, Patsy Klein. Huh? You know, 
Oh, have y'all ever gotten something like that planted down on them? And, and you know, you think you gotta, you gotta combat that stuff. You gotta combat it, and you gotta dig it out. Everything that's planted wrong. And you know, some people are like, I don't understand why we need Sunday night church. Well, I tell you why we need it. I tell you why we need it. Because until this county, and until all of us, we don't have any religion in us. We don't have any fear in us. We don't have, you know, we're in total faith. And then we need to take every opportunity we can to dig up everything we can and to plant everything we can. Amen. Hallelujah. It's a matter of faith, isn't it? Uh, so fear comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the devil or the word of death. Words of death will bring fear to you. They may not immediately, but eventually they'll come up in a harvest. Do you know what I'm saying? And so we guard ourselves. Um, we have to disconnect from one system and connect to the other. We've got to disconnect from that system. And, you know, it makes you look foolish to your kinfolk. It makes you look fanatical. It makes you look radical. Because you have to disconnect. Sometimes you have to disconnect in just a slight way by just kind of leaving the room when they're talking about stuff you don't want to hear. You know, how many of you find yourself leaving the room? Like, you know, um, but sometimes it takes it takes a more aggressive disconnection. One of the things I wanted to say tonight concerning the disconnecting to the law of life, and disconnecting and changing what you say, is you got to make sure that you're not just fighting darkness, but that you're actually enforcing the light or enforcing light. And let me give you an example of that. For instance, you know, I well, I'll just take my own stuff for an example. You know, I woke up in the middle of the night. It's been about a couple of years ago, I think now. But in my, I tell you, my wrist, I'm telling you, I, I mean, it was tight. I, I, I have sympathy. I have compassion for people that have carpal tunnel. Those they actually told me later that's what it was. And I said, you know, I don't even have a natural reason to have carpal tunnel. I don't do anything repetitively unless to, you know, have that or anything. I think that's how you're supposed to get it. But it was such pain, you know, that I was the only way I could even go to sleep that night was to get up and sit in the chair, put my hand here, and get up so close to hard against the chair, put so much pressure on that hand, just the pressure would cause the pain to subside enough that I could doze off. But we need to make sure that when we are attacked like that, and I'm telling you, those sudden attacks like that, they are the devil trying to get you to take some. They're trying to get you. He wants you to say, I've got carpal tunnel. He wants you. That's a death. That's a death sentence. You know, carpal tunnel is not deadly, but you don't have to say it. And he wants you to say, I've got arthritis. Or like they say down at the senior center, uh, Arthur's Arthur, come to visit today or something. They'll say something like that. You know what I'm saying? Y'all have been to senior center where well, y'all have missed it. Hallelujah. Uh, you know, my granny Hicksie and grand grand would go in these little towns, I don't know about Tuscaloosa, but at the senior center, you can go eat every day for a dollar. Or I think it used to be a dollar. Right? And he called it the poor folks' home. <laughs> and, 
And he, he and they went they used to poor folks home. They were like for a dollar. They always wanted us to go get I don't want I I couldn't stand it. It tasted too much like the school cafeteria to me or something. Hallelujah. But uh, anyway, uh you those are law that's speaking and agreeing with a a, with a a law of sin and death and, and it's enforcing something that you just don't want to enforce. So anyway, don't fight the darkness because sometimes when we we uh, uh, get we realize I need to resist this, I need to take authority over this. We begin to say things like, uh, "Pain, I just come against you. I just speak to you, pain, pain. I just tell you, pain. You're in pain. I, I I'm not in pain, and you're just fighting pain. But that's not that that's just fighting darkness. And we don't. Jesus already triumphed over darkness." We need to speak life and enforce life. Well, what did he say? First Peter two twenty four. I don't have any regard for you, pain. I, according to First Peter two twenty four, by his stripes I was healed. If I was healed, I am healed. Therefore, my wrist is healed. I thank you, Lord. My wrist feels good. See, my saying my wrist feels good when it doesn't is calling those things that be not as though they were. Saying I'm pain free. Hallelujah. I have a pain. I, I thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. And even sometimes, even not, maybe not even saying that, not even addressing pain at all. Just saying, my hips feel good. My hips feel good. Well, how can you say your hips feel good? I can say them because, uh, Jesus already bought and paid for it. Amen. And so not fighting the pain, not fighting darkness as much as we are enforcing life, speaking life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I have perfect vision. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh, I can walk all over this town. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. My lungs are pink and healthy. Glory to God. My heart beats in perfect rhythm. See, those are enforcing life instead of fighting uh, darkness. In Amos chapter 3, verse 3. It, it's important. It, it makes all the difference. And and God is constantly causing us to have more and more revelation about how to walk in this abundant life that Jesus bought and paid for. It's not just automatic because you're saved. It's not automatic because you're spirit-filled. In fact, sometimes the more you do and serve God, the more you're a target for the enemy. And so it's important, if you're going to serve him, if you're going to uh, be a prayer, if you're going to be a server in the kingdom of God, a teacher, that you develop yourself in these things so that you can overcome. Because you sometimes might be more of a target than somebody else. Uh, Amos 3, verse 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Now, everybody in this church would probably tell me tonight, I want to walk with God. I want to walk with God, Miss Debbie. I love God. I love Jesus, and I want to walk with Him. I want a closer walk with Him. I used to like that song, just a closer walk with Him. I always wanted to be close with God. I didn't just start wanting to be close with Him. I want to be close to Him. But I can't walk with him unless I agree with him. 
And when I talk about the death, and when I speak words of death to my life, to my situation, I'm not agreeing with him. He's not in agreement with me. He loves me, but he doesn't agree with me. When I say I can't afford it, when I say we can't, we're too broke to tithe, or too broke to pay attention. Hallelujah. You ever hear me say that? Hallelujah. I'm not agreeing with God. In fact, I'm disagreeing with him. You know what I'm really doing? And if you just want to boil it down, I'm calling him a liar. When a Christian, is, you know, and we're different levels of revelation, but when a Christian says, when a Christian says, I'm not here, I'm sick. You know what you just did? You said, God lied. God lied. First Peter 2, 24 is a lie. Now, you know, there's uh, that doesn't mean that we don't, uh, that we ignore pain. That doesn't mean that we, you ought to deal with pain. You can't ignore it. Pain is sick. You know, pain is sick to tell you something. You know, if you put your hand on a burner, the pain is trying to tell you something. And if that pain didn't tell you something, you could stay there so long that your hand could be totally, uh, you could be without it. You could lose your hand. So you just said, I'm disregarding this pain. So we don't saying that you ignore pain, but we're saying that you deal with it. And that you deal with it with your words. And even when you go to the doctor, when you realize, you know, I'm not as developed in my faith as I need to be, or as I could be, I'm going to go to the doctor. But even when you do, you can still say life works. And, and you know, it won't, it won't hurt your faith. It won't hurt your faith to go to the doctor. The only way going to the doctor hurts your faith is when you start agreeing with that law of sin and death and you agree with that instead of the Word of God. And you know, I'm the great advocate for the Bible says that if you have faith, just to keep it to yourself. I don't like it when people go in the doctor and say, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I think he will they I think that's casting your pearls before swine. But but on the other hand, you don't have to say what they say. Amen. And you don't have to tell them what you're believing. You don't have to say anything. But you can just kind of, you know, you ought to learn how to just grow. Just go, mm, mm, mm. I've done that so many times. Just said, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> you know, and they're like, well, I'm sure there's like something's wrong with her, but I'm not gonna, you know, uh, uh, you know, you just don't have to. I know uh, when Eric was a baby, he had a a hernia, and uh, and I believed God, and Pastor believed God, and I didn't have any leading from the Lord, and we took you know, our kids to pediatricians and everything, but I didn't have any leading to deal with this with the doctor, and so. Every babysitter would tell me that. And, uh, and you know who the ones that gave me the worst report? They always told me what untreated hernias did. The result of an untreated hernia. You know who always gave me the worst report? It was the spirit-filled chemical. They gave well, always a worse diagnosis. But I would, and they would say, you know, have you noticed this? Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And we did. 
But we just kept believing God. We just kept putting the word on it every day. And you know, uh, one day we when we prayed, that was during the time, bless God, that Larry Lee had us all up praying at the church from six to seven every morning. Hallelujah. Y'all ever notice he's not in the ministry today? I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> he tortured all of us for years. No. Thank you, Jesus. And, and we thought we had to do it to get what God wanted for us. Hallelujah. But one thing it did do is we learned to pray. Hallelujah. <laughs> it was so funny. We talked about this other night with Avery. And Miss Vicky said, I slept the whole time. <laughs> she said, she said, I went to prayer every morning at 6 o'clock. <laughs> Hallelujah. you, We had a good time over there. <laughs> and, uh, um, so anyway, uh, and so one morning, you know, a, a hernia is a weakness in the muscle wall. And then one morning, just out of my heart, a scripture goes up. In your weakness, I will faith. And I knew. I knew not only then, I wasn't just believing by faith. I knew we had And we did. We had it. Hallelujah. We had to do it. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And we're here. <laughs> um, did you? Oh, so we got to agree with God. Fear will always call God a lie. You know, you're going to have what you say. The Bible says Jesus said you have what you say. And you know, some people say back to you, they say, "Well, what if I confess it and uh, and uh, what if it doesn't come to pass?" Well, see, fear right there is calling God a lie. That's fear calling. That's disagreeing with God. And see, when we disagree with God, we're going to get close here. When we disagree with God, we disagree with God. See, there's not but two people. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus and the law of the Spirit. Where there's not this, see, we'd like for there to be kind of a gray area in the middle that we could all be in and say, well, you know, I'm not in this kingdom of the devil, the law of the devil, but I'm I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not quite there yet. No, we have to take the plunge. Because we we got to make a choice. Which kingdom am I going to walk in? Am I going to change how I call? Hallelujah. Glory to God. And like Pastor said, you may become a deaf mute. You may have to, for a first season. And I know you'll be going, you'll be catching yourself for a season. And you'll be renouncing half of what you say. Repenting for half of what you say. You'll be remembering things you said in the past, and you'll be saying, Lord, I did that seed up. I was asking you to forgive me that I ever said that. You know, and I still do that all the time, don't y'all? See, there's no in-betweens. There's no neutral gap. Right. Now, I'll tell you something. This is what, this is something most of the church doesn't know. You can't change anything with tears. Now, you know, it just feels good. Our emotions feel good. It feels good to have emotions. It feels good to cry sometimes. And it feels good to laugh, but we can't change anything. I'm telling you, this whole world be saved. We'd already be in Jesus if tears would have done it. Because I'm telling you, the Pentecostals by themselves have shed rivers full of them. Amen? I was helping them along real good for several years there. You can't change anything with tears, and you can't change anything with a few little prayers. In fact, you know what? You can't pray your way out of what you've got to confess your way out of. 
there's some things you've got to confess your way out of. You can't, you're going to have to feel a, 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 an abundant life. You can't just believe God, oh, God, just translate me over into prosperity. No, you're going to have to build it with your mouth. You're going to have to dig up all the poverty out of you, all the poverty thinking. You know, God will be showing you things that are poverty 20 years from now, that are that are a poverty way of thinking. Remember, like the toothpaste, that that's a poverty way of thinking to have to push push that tooth down. And like Jennifer said she used to do, I know she don't do it no more, cut the tube open. I can't think of anything messier. How, and, you know, or more unsanitary, Jennifer. I hope you put it in a Ziploc bag after you, after you slip the thing. I'm picking on her, but we've all got those things. Hallelujah. You know, you have things in your closet that Jesus would like to give you better, but you're saving them. You're saving things. Take, you know, I think Mr. Carlton looked at Miss Rowland right there. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> See, we've got to dig that up, and we can't pray it out. we got to dig it out, and we dig it out by our confession of life. And you can't pray your way into healing, and, and especially not into divine life and divine health. you got to confess your way into healing. Amen. So how many times we say it makes a deal. You know, if I'm saying it one time every six weeks, but you're saying it 16 times a day, it stands to reason you're going to get there sooner than me, unless you're pretty, you know, aren't you? Hallelujah. See, sometimes we think, oh, God, he respects people. No, but some people do accept it. You know, you don't know what we do at home. But, you know, it all shows up in the long run. In the long run, it shows up. You can't hide it when you're faith. When you've been in a church like this, and you know that's a, it, it really, a lot of people won't go lose themselves in a big church. You know, a lot of people want to go to a big church so they don't have to have any accountability. Because we see you in this church. We think about you all the time. We can, we got, we can think about you on an individual basis. And we think about you and meditate on you and, and pray for you, and we say, "Why, my goodness, look how they're thinking!" Oh, God help us! You know, sometimes we do that. Um, <clears throat> see, if you built a fortress of sin and death, you know the law, the law of sin and death. I'm not talking about specifically sin, just that old death kingdom, that kingdom. If you built a fortress of it, you're going to have to tear it down for it by hand. This stuff, you know, you might as well get busy. Because you want abundant life, it's going to all start working faster. The faster you work on it, the quicker it works. Amen. Hallelujah. You want to catch up? You can. If you're behind and you want to catch up, we die. We have to develop our faith day by day. And we have to do it every day. Faith's not something you put on just in the process. It won't be there. It won't be sufficient. It'll be lacking. Amen. Faith is something you develop every day. Every day. Every day we get up and work on it. Every day. Every day. Every day. We don't take a vacation from faith. We don't take a good vacation. Boy, I'm just going to confess everything wrong because I'm tired of you, you, you. Boy, you'll pay for that for the next six weeks or longer. Take a day off. 
power. Well, praise God. Don't let anybody steal what you've been planting. Life in your heart, don't let anybody steal it. Don't anybody plant some other seeds in there with it. You know, does anybody know Jamie Buckingham? Not on to be with Jesus now. He was a, uh, he was a, always wrote for Charisma Magazine. He was a writer, really, basically what he was, but he ministered too. I mean, he was a minister. He went to conferences all over the world ministering, and he, um, he loved people. He did. He loved people. He loved God's people. He loved the kingdom of God. And uh, I remember I was uh, just new and not new, but I was, I guess, about 10 years past faith. And I read in the magazine that Jamie, I knew Jamie Buckingham said he was fighting the battle of cancer. And I read that he died. And I was like, oh, And I was just, you know, I was at that point in my life when I thought everybody that was spirit-filled was going to live and not die. And I was in the shower. I can remember as plain as, you know, when God speaks to you, you always remember exactly where you were. And I was in the shower and I was just, oh, why did Jamie Buckingham die? Because I really like to read this stuff. And the Lord spoke to me at Paris and, and I knew it was true. He said he mingled his feet. And I knew it was true. Because Jamie, he fellowshiped with the Catholic Pharisees. And he fellowshiped with the Episcopal Pharisees. He's always writing about them and fellowship with them. And he fellowship with, you know, as much as we love all God's people, we can't let them plant seeds in our lives. If they ain't all believe. you kind of got to guard your mind. You can't, I can guarantee you, you won't die quick listening to people, listen to everything on people. I, there's not too much on it. It hurts your faith. Those doctors on there will hurt your faith. And I, I mean, those good people, sweet. You know, I want to cry over that because those people are good people that love God and they are sweet people. But they don't know what you know. And it hurts you. That's why I recommend to you that you take your, that you get $300. You believe God. $300. And you buy something. We touch, bought me two votes on my birthday. When you get Tebo, you can tell you you want a season pass. Now, oh, maybe I could get a position. You can tell you want a season pass to the Believer's Lord for this. And, and some other good faith, you know, maybe you want a season pass to get to the planet. I don't care. But you can then, you don't, then when you come home at night and you don't want to watch uh, 60 Minutes 2020, because, you know, you got to throw some of that stuff out. And, uh, you but you want to sit down in front of the TV and bless God you want to watch stuff. And you can, and man, there's there's there, there, there's that lady on TV that whines and cries and sings. Oh, all those old unbelieving songs. Jesus help me. And she she's on. And I'm not being ugly. I know y'all think I'm being ugly, but I don't want you to think I'm being ugly. I love these people. And I I appreciate the sacrifice they make for God and that they love God with all their heart. But I can't listen. And I know that they they that some people think they're ministering to but, but really they're not. And Jan and Paul are the sweetest people on God's own earth. And you cannot argue with what they've done in their life. You cannot, I do not argue. But they let any old dog that hunt 
come on, where's that lie? <laughs> I don't want to say that. Honey, start the car. I learned that from Joe Morris. Y'all will love me anyway. Y'all know I'm not being critical of these people. I'm not. But anyway, with TiVo, when you do want to sit down and watch TV, you've already chosen your program. And you don't even, you can't, and you just tell, well, you okay, I'm going to go watch Believe the Force of Victory. Believe the Force of Victory was recorded, recorded earlier in the day. And yeah, I know you can watch it on your computer, but I don't want to sit in my computer there. I don't want to go sit in front of the TV. And, uh, and, but then sit in front of the computer and that. And then another thing is you can zip through all the stuff. If God gives the body of God. And if there is a good meeting on while you're in church, you know, that's when they all, they all come on, right? When six o'clock on Sunday night, that's when the best movies will be on. We just record it. And then we can watch a decent movie when something's not decent or not. We can go through all the commercials, a movie that would take three hours, and I'll take you one and a half to do it all the commercials. This is so big in the United States that, that the, the advertisers are upset over the people. They're going to court because nobody's watching their advertisements. They lost. Yeah. But they're upset about that. There's no, and so now what they're doing is they're putting more product in the show. So that you see the cornflakes in the show. Because they want to advertise. I, I'm not, you know, trying to be carnal here, but the truth is, and this is the truth, Miss Jean, we are the TV generation. And short of some sort of miracle, they ain't none of them going to give it up. We ain't going to give it up. We like TV. We just raised them. Don't we like TV? Y'all are looking at me like you don't like TV, but you do like TV. You do like TV. So we, we ought to, we ought to fix it. And another thing, while you're buying it, spend another 70 bucks at Walmart and buy yourself a TV garden. And it's the best thing to, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the first thing. And it takes all the custom Because there are some movies that are actually decent and, and, you know, don't have any bad sex or anything like that in them. And they just have, they put language in them. And I don't know why they do it. And you can get rid of them. And read your work first and make your confessions first. And then do these things, okay? But hallelujah. You can learn a bunch just watching Believe the Force of Victory. TV Garden, 70 bucks. You need to quit watching these movies without it. If you're going to watch them, you need to make a $70 investment. Because you don't need that. You don't need those words planted in your heart. When you're least suspecting, you'll be standing here in praise and worship, and some four-letter word will come up in your mouth. Because you've got, because you've seen three movies that week, and they become common, and you, you, you begin to think it's okay. But it is not okay. Before you know it, you keep on, and three years from now, you'll be saved. It don't take long. Thank you, Jesus. We'll stand up.